Blog Talk Radio. several levels so i'm uh i'm just about you know where the average person is after they've downed a bottle of i don't know what's a heavy what's an opioid i don't know heroin take your opioid take your opioid depressant of choice people i assume you all have one this is damn you hollywood i'm robert winfrey i want to thank you all for listening tonight we are going to be tackling the Unbelievably financially successful Thor Ragnarok. Uh, Those of you who listen to the show regularly may have heard me express my concerns over the past few weeks regarding this movie, my trepidation, my apprehension. It was partially rewarded, um, but I wound up a little more on the lukewarm side than on the... I can't believe I had to sit through this side of things, but uh, we'll get to the full thing. However, tonight we have... We're going to hit the whole spectrum, I think, tonight, because we have, as usual, Mark Rattlett. And Mark is a lover of brightly colored things that go boom. Do you not hear me yelling heroin? I wouldn't take heroin. (laughs) I just wanted to be acknowledged. Hello. Sorry. And no, I didn't. I, mean, I apologize for that. But, <laughs> but Mark, who I think it's safe to say enjoyed the movie. Yeah, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. All right. But we're going to hit the other end of the spectrum. And this time, I don't have to unduly alter my views to fit the alternative, the alternate narrative to Mark's. Because here with us, we have... One of the biggest Thor fans there is, and I don't mean of the movies, uh, Pat Mullen is here with us. I think he's been on a time or two before. Pat, how are you doing this evening? 
Guys, I'd rather have bad times with you than good times with someone else. Thank you, Luther Vandross, for giving me that line. That was nice. That was a nice line. All righty. So, again, tonight we are reviewing Thor Ragnarok. All right, Pat, I want to start with you for this. I usually ask Mark his, you know, what, what he was expecting going into this, but if you've listened to Mark and I over the last few weeks, he's been over the moon about this, whereas I have been kind of yeesh. I, I, told, I told everyone that first, that first trailer. I just went, nope. You have lost the plot, people. <laughs> Uh, but I'm curious, uh, you know, because again, Mark, Mark and I are documented on this. What were your expectations going into this? What you know, again? Were you excited? Were you nervous? I know you're a, you know, again, you're an old school Thor fan, so just the notion of his hair being cut had you up in arms a little bit. Uh, that first trailer was really bad, and if I had expectations, they would have been drastically lowered by that. Um, I went into this not hoping for much partly to do with uh, some drastic changes as shown in the trailer to the character. Uh, one being the cutting of his iconic golden mane. One being the destruction of his trusty hammer Mjolnir. Um, among other things that were involved in it, like having Dr. Strange involved after his movie left me wanting to punch people. Um, uh, supposedly less of a focus on Loki in this movie as the real driving Thor villain and the introduction of a character that would have been very easy to mishandle in Hela as the movie's main villain. So my expectations were somewhat uh, limited at best. Alrighty. Uh, Mark, I'll ask you again, because again, I don't want to speak too much for you, despite all your being on the record about this. Last week changed anything for you? In terms of going into this, you know, here here's what I'll say that isn't a repeat of things we've talked about before. There are two things. One, I thought there'd be more Hulk, and I feel like most of the Hulk we got in the movie was already in the trailer. Bit of a letdown for me. Two, regardless of what I thought, both. Personally and critically, I came away with more hatred for uh, professional reviewers than I've ever had before. And here's <laughs> why. Okay. This sets me up so lovely, so nicely for our final bit. I, I'm looking forward to my aneurysm. <laughs> I watched Thor the Dark World today and I watched it and I watched it uh, yesterday. And there are problems with the movie. Stuart Lang is on the record as saying it's the worst one he's ever seen, which I think is a bit harsh, but I, I don't want to get into a review of the Dark World. I, I want to point out a, a contrast in both the movie and how it's been reviewed compared to this one. And without being too snarky, it seems like reviewers can't handle a comic book movie that is in any way serious. If it takes itself seriously, if, it, if the material is handled with any kind of um, tone that is anything less than fucking clown shoes at the circus, they can't stand it. I feel like a lot of the reviews for Thor The Dark World were about its tone 
rather than its plot or its villains or etc. Meanwhile, in walks the Doink the Clown of Marvel movies, Thor Ragnarok. The the bad Doink like, the Clown, not not the good. And I don't mean bad as in bad guy, but this is the Ray Apollo Doink the Clown versus the the Matt Bourne <laughs> Doink the Clown for our wrestling fans out there. Wasn't it Bloom? Everyone not take Bourne? a drink. No, it was Matt Bourne. Matt Bloom is uh, Albert. Okay. In so in walks this giant clown that is Thor Ragnarok. And I'm not saying I didn't like it, but it's it's nonstop quippy jokes and fight scenes, and the reviewers are all jerking off to it. They just think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's the best Marvel movie ever because it's, it is borderline a parody of a, of, a, of a superhero film. And they don't take shit seriously. It's like they, there's, a, there's, a, there's a moment where they're dealing with Odin's death where it's kind of serious, and then it's just like, okay, here we go! And da, 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 da. I mean, I've never seen people lose their home in a giant fiery explosion treated with less depth <laughs> and seriousness. It's just like, oh well, shit happens, and we have to go. I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you used that word because it's we're not going to hear a lot of that word when it comes to this movie. But I, but here's the thing: I'm not blaming Marvel for that because, like the song says, you give them what they want. And between the reviewers and the people who go see these movies, by and large, nobody wants a Snyderfest, serious, grim comic book movie. They want this, and that's why it's doing so well. But it made me hate reviewers because because of it. It's like instead of review in reviewing the film critically, it's well, I didn't have any fun at the movie, so it sucks. And and that just makes me want to punch reviewers critics yeah there's a reason i mean we play it for laughs but seriously the reason i suggest beating these people about the head with a dead fish is because i mean again we joke about it but if you actually do it uh i will applaud you and the reason i (laughs) recommend these very very non-lethal methodologies of abusing them is because i do kind of want someone to do it Find Joe Morgenstern and egg his house. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, this is the kind of thing I want because it, I, I mean, I can't say like, no, please hit them with your car. Like, I, I just, I can't bring myself to do that because I know people who deserve to be hit with cars and these people may be morons, but to the best of my knowledge, they're not that level of terrible human being. Wasn't Joe Morgenstern the name of Rhoda's ex-husband on her show? I couldn't tell you. He is if a reviewer was, then, for the Wall you know, Street. He's a reviewer for the Wall Street Journal. We we we, we refer to him gen, uh, as uh, like you know old man cranky. Yeah, isn't that also the name of the ex-husband on Rhoda? I'm pretty sure it is. And if so, that's probably the high point of anybody named Joe Morgenstern. You were the ex the ex-husband <laughs> to a moderately mediocrely attractive forty-something in a '70s sitcom. Good for you. I, I want to be clear uh, about this. I, I like I said I was fine with it, but when I I've gone through the Rotten Tomatoes reviews for this thing, 
And, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading about this movie, and it just, it's, it's the same narrative over and over. Oh, you know, it's a, this is almost a comedy. This is a comedy. And it's like, that's the logic. This made me laugh, therefore it's good. That's yeah, the but these are the same people who, my, I was going to say, these the are the same, same people my, who shit on Bill and Ted because it's not Citizen Kane. Yeah. This is the same logic my three-year-old applies to things. And, and, and that's the frustration. All right, I'm getting off my soapbox now. That's a, I'll be climbing up to take that post again towards the end of the show. <laughs> let me, hot tag, let me say this. <laughs> tag in, Hawk. Uh, well, uh, no. The only thing I wanted to say about this as far as my expectations go, and I feel this... I feel it was largely correct in this, having now seen the movie. Because I'm wrong a lot, but every now and then I have moments of great clarity, and I can kind of predict the future. <laughs> I'm not clairvoyant. This is No, no, look, I am not clairvoyant. This is simply my brain happening to, on rare occasion, actually correlate all the relevant data. That's all it is. D- Anyone this is can d- do it. deductive reasoning? Yeah, I mean, like, well, some of that, some of it's stuff I don't actually understand. Like, again, I mean, Pat, five minutes before Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw walk out to the cage, I told you TJ's going to finish Cody inside of two rounds. I have, there's no logical basis for that. Not for me to be that right. Like, that should So it's more, like, it's more like how a rainbow forms or how Positrack works. It just does? Yeah, like, th- there's a set of circumstances that when they converge – I can I ha, I have a better than average track record of predicting what's going to happen. Like it's again, it, it's it's nothing special. Like anyone can do this. And if I could track exactly how my brain works when I did it, I be you know, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in. I'd be doing something much more interesting. No offense to you guys. I meant that as my life, not this podcast. <laughs> I probably Oh my god, get on with it. When I saw the trailers for this, I said, oh, great, this is Guardians Volume 3, but I don't think I ever appropriately qualified why that disturbed me so. It's Guardians without what actually makes Guardians work. That was my deep fear, and, I be- and after seeing it, I believe that to be generally accurate. And I'll get to the specifics of that after the plot synopsis. So anyone who hasn't seen this movie or just doesn't want to know what's going to happen... Uh, here's your this spoiler ain't show warning. For you. Here's your spoiler warning. I'm about to go through it. All right, this movie is generally set two years after Age of Ultron. The Marvel chronology is all over the place. I don't know why they bother. But we open with Thor having taken a trip to a realm unnamed. It's actually, it's actually um, Muspelheim, which is Muspelheim. the realm of which is the realm of Surtur, who is. Oh, God. He's the devil. He is the progenitor of all fire giants, and he is prophesied to destroy Asgard during Ragnarok. It is the inevitable end of all of the Norse, you know, the Norse deities comes during that battle. And Thor, who has failed to locate the Infinity Stones, which is they use as a... Sorry, not editorializing. Thor has now become worried about the end of all, the end of Asgard, the end of his people, so on and so forth, because he's been dreaming about it and things 
around the nine realms are not adding up to, you know, things. It's not business as usual. So he travels to Muspelheim, confronts Surtur about it. They have a fight. He takes the crown of Surtur back to Asgard because if he's able to lock it away, it can never be used to restore Surtur to true power, wherein he will destroy the entire, you know, all of Asgard. I mean, again, in the original Ragnarok, it's all of creation, but uh, deviations from actual Norse mythology are perfectly acceptable here. Surtur, however, during their conversation, mentions to Thor that Odin is not in Asgard. This is kind of a moderately surprising bit of news. Of course, anyone who actually watched Thor The Dark World knows that Loki has usurped Odin and is pretending to be him. Thor returns home, outs Loki, and then he and Loki go to find Odin because he, I mean, Odin's an extraordinarily powerful being who's connected to the life force of all reality, which is what actually gives him his power, and he's responsible for keeping balance. They encounter Stephen Strange, which was moderately amusing. I think one of the only times I laughed at this movie was Loki's I've been falling for 30 minutes because uh, (laughs) that's actually kind of funny. Uh, They locate Odin in Norway. Get it? Because they're Norse. Yuck, 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 yuck. Uh, Odin imparts some wisdom, quietly passes on to the next realm after informing them that, by the way, my death is going to release your older sister who I've had locked in an extra dimension because she became too bloodthirsty for me to control. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> and lots of luck. Hella shows up. Have fun the, the castle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Hella shows up, destroys Mjolnir, uh, goes through the Bifrost and begins laying waste to Asgard as she is the goddess of death. Thor and Loki are ejected from the Bifrost mid-travel and both wind up on the junk world of Sakaar, which is this planet at the Nexus. It is surrounded by wormholes that all eject onto its surface. It's at the corner of first and first. Yeah. (laughs) Thor is captured by a Valkyrie who grew disenfranchised after Hela murdered all of them. And she sells Thor to Jeff Goldblum. I'm not even going to call the character's name because it's just Jeff Goldblum. Like, this is Jeff Goldblum (laughs) on a regular day. All right. Now, here's where I'm going to interject and say it's the Grandmaster. That's the character's name. Possibly, probably the brother of the Collector. Stop editorializing. Okay, but, but clearly it's Jeff Goldblum not acting. Uh, again, that's like, fine, but the character that, assigned to him is the okay. Grandmaster. That's fine. For the purposes of bookkeeping, it is so noted. I'm still calling him Jeff Goldblum because it's just Jeff Goldblum on a Tuesday. Fine. Uh, and it, he holds gladiatorial events because it's what you do when you're a maniacal despot. I don't know. He does. No. No, he was holding. Why do you have gladiatorial games to distract the masses from the fact that you're running a despotic empire? Sure. And and he clearly said that in the movie. Sure. 
Again, it, it's what you do when you're in his position. You need something. And the, and the shedding of blood is as good as anything else. So Thor engages the champion, which turns out to be the Hulk. Uh, they fight to a draw. No, the Hulk wins. I don't know. I, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, he, close it's, it's a... The Grandmaster fixes the fight. Yeah, Thor was about to deliver a killing blow, essentially, and at which point he's electrocuted for, uh, with the... Um, uh, Slave this, disc. Uh, obedience disc. The obedience disc. Thank uh, you. So he's electrocuted, and then, and then Hulk just, like, knocks him out, basically. So Hulk wins with an asterisk. Uh, the Grandmaster is that guy with the uh, parachute and the uh, big fan on his back from the Tyson-Holyfield fight. Holyfield bow? <laughs> Holyfield bow, thank you. I've, my apologies. <laughs> but, yeah, they... Yeah. <laughs> I'll save my comment about the Grandmaster for after. It turns out that this is not actually Bruce Banner. It's just the Hulk. He's just been the Hulk for years, and he's kind of happy here. He is hated on Earth He's because, well, let's be fair, he just destroys things. He is the id personified. He has no ability to actually rein in his actions or his <laughs> emotions. He is now in a position where that doesn't matter. They love him because he destroys people. And he is king in here. Now, Thor just wants to get back to Asgard and stop his sister and save all the Asgardians from annihilation. Because that's what she's going to do. During all of this, Hela is primarily concerned with reclaiming... Uh, the sword that is the key to the Bifrost, which Heimdall has reacquired and is just like, nope, <laughs> you're not going anywhere. Because Heimdall's a badass. So Thor keeps trying to escape. Uh, Hulk doesn't really want him to go because he wants his friend. And no, you don't. Uh, I feel like Hulk is just going, I, I can't. I haven't told you how great this place is yet. During this, he winds up reverting to Banner after seeing a recording of the Black Widow and the on the Quinjet that he landed in. Thor and Banner have a little bit of misadventure. Loki helps them out of mutual interest. They escape the planet. Uh, they go back to Asgard. They engage in conflict. Thor recognize, regains his actual powers by remembering that I am not the god of hammers. Which was a really great line, actually, from, from Odin. Uh, they, again, engage in combat. Thor decides that, well, since me, since, you know, myself and Hela and all of us draw our power from the plane that Asgard currently exists on, we're going to fight till doomsday and neither of us is really going to win. In fact, she's probably going to beat me because she's stronger. So I have to destroy the physical location of Asgard in order to rob her of power. He sends Loki to take the helmet of Surtur and dip it into the eternal flame. Surtur respawns in his true form at full power. He destroys Asgard while all of the people are loaded onto a ship. I mean, could they have... Nope, not doing it. And they set, they set out across the cosmos looking for their new home, which... Thor decides Earth is as good a first stopping place as any. 
end in our relevant post credit scene, Thor and Loki have a bit of a bonding moment, and Thor, because he's not the brightest bulb, actually says, I think everything is going to work out right before the mothership of Thanos shows up. Okay. Uh, before we go I any further, anything? I have a pro- no, I, but I have a, I have a problem with how we're going to get from where we are at the end of Thor Ragnarok to Infinity War next May. And here's, here's my problem. As Hela's walking through the, the, uh, the prize room, you know, there's the bit where she knocks over the gauntlet. She's like, fake. Okay, that's funny. But she passes the Tesseract. Unless Loki grabbed the Tesseract on his way out. He did. Of there once he did. Let's uh, be clear it, about that. It, he a, did. He, we don't know that. We don't know, we don't know what he did. We know that he grabbed the crown because he brought Searcher back and that we saw on screen. You're assuming he grabbed the Tesseract. But unless he did, it went up in flames with the rest of Asgard. So I don't know how Thanos is going to get that particular Infinity Stone. It couldn't have been destroyed even by Surtur. So if it did, if he did leave it there, then Thanos just goes to the wreckage of Asgard and picks it up. Like, it's not hard. But they actually did the bit when Loki is running through the you know, Hall of Treasure where he stops and stares at it for a few seconds. We cut back to the fighting. Then we cut back to Loki dropping the crown in the fire. It's heavily implied. Okay. All right. I, and all of the things that I remembered about this movie that I wanted to talk about, somehow I dropped that little bit of that, that, that bit of, uh, um, uh, that particular action. So, all right, I'll take you, I will take your word for it that he stared at the thing and he probably grabbed it. Yeah, there's, it's a very brief scene. I mean, if you, like, blinked for too long, you probably missed it, but it's there, and again, it's implied enough on screen. Yeah, it was, like, after midnight. I'm pretty sure I did more than blinking. Fair. It's not like this movie does a whole lot to engage you. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you want to begin, sir? I want to say this, because I kind of led in with what I was afraid of with this movie and why I feel it was essentially played out. Not as badly as I feared it was going to be, but essentially. What makes the Guardians of the Galaxy work as a film? Both of them. Everyone remembers the comedy, right? Everyone remembers the jokes. That's not what really makes it work. It's nice, and it definitely contributes to the tone that those movies are done in. But what really makes Guardians work in you know, as films is that there is deep emotional connection to the characters involved. They joke, but it's all there's a lot of it that's gallows humor. These are very, very damaged, very, very conflicted individuals, and we as the audience get to see all of that. We see the, you know, angst of Rocket and his, you know, quest to push everyone away because he doesn't want to feel as empty as being loved makes him feel. We see Yondu struggling with what he's done, his relationship with Quill. We, you know, have Quill looking for his father. You have Gamora's relationship with Nebula. They've all got 
you know, there's a lot of very deep emotion that runs through those movies. And it's why the humor works, because you actually care about everyone who's on screen. This is an instance where I feel they looked at that and went, oh, people want jokes. Here's your jokes. And it was, again, I I have to stress this. This was not as bad as I feared it was going to be, but... That is still, I think, the fundamental problem with this movie. It relies on surface gags rather than anything that might resonate a little deeper. And the reason you have that is so that everything else harmonizes. Instead, we get a bunch of jokes that don't really amount to anything. And it's sadly discordant. Um, I have other things, but I will save them for later. Uh, Mark, I'll go ahead and give you first crack here. You liked it, so where do you want to start? You know, your positives, negatives, the floor is yours. Okay, um, I'll, I'll stick with the, the critical elements, uh, as I like to do. I thought the, the plot of this thing was fairly straightforward. I like that it was circular. You know, it starts with him thinking he's going to prevent Ragnarok. And then much like in Thor disassembled, he, uh, you know, or Thor Ragnarok, whatever you like, uh, he comes to the conclusion that the only way to win the day is by allowing Ragnarok to happen. Uh, I would have liked to have seen the cinematic version of what happened in the comic, which is Loki going, you're going to do what now? <laughs> I thought I was the villain. So I was rather amused by um, and you can hear more about that on source material up in the archives. Anyway, uh, look, I laughed. Um, obviously, you know, the writing was so light outside of the one scene where Odin dies that the movie moved very fast, sometimes a little too fast. Um, it kept yeah, it was very two, upbeat. This is a two-hour movie, and both my brother and I, when we got out of it, went, wait, that was how long? Um, it's very fast paced. It's very, uh, fluid. Uh, obviously all the performances are pretty much on point, but a lot of them are played for comic effect. My favorite performance in this entire thing is not Korg. And if I hear one more person tell me that they thought Korg was the best thing in the movie, I might have to punch someone. No, the best performance by far. And just, you really have to listen to this podcast, like, at, you know, each episode as it comes out, because they all build on each other, almost like a series. These are not, you know, if you just hear one podcast, you're going to miss stuff I said in a previous podcast that builds on it. And that's this. Cheap plug to just listen to like all the I, shows. Exactly. Just we like need I it. said in Season of the Witch, just like I said, uh, I think with Jigsaw, in terms of performances, this was what I wanted in, 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 in both of those scenarios where I was complaining about the performance of the, of the villains. Kate Blanchett fucking chewed every bit of scenery she could get her teeth on. It was fantastic. This is what I, this was engaging. Every scene Kate Blanchett is in, she steals. It's fantastic. Uh, I wanted more Kate Blanchett, which is actually a problem I have with the film. Not enough Hella. Not enough Hella doing stuff. Not enough Hella chewing scenery. Not enough Hella with her sassy walk. Um, I also thought Scourge was a bit of a waste. 
you know, it's like he's pretty much in the movie to have the, the redemption scene where he opens fire with the machine guns, again, straight out of the comic book. Um, but I felt like the road to get there, a little lame. Uh, the Thor-Hulk fight, you got pretty much all of it in the trailer. Uh, there wasn't, a, you know, the only thing that was a surprise and that was fun to watch was when the was when he tried to do the lullaby and Hulk grabbed him by the wrist and slammed him on the crowd and Loki was like, yeah, that's how it feels. Now you know how it feels, uh, which got a huge laugh out of me, especially. But other than that, so much of the of the marketing was that Thor Hulk fight scene, and you got most of it in the trailer anyway. So bit of a letdown. Um, really the whole time they're on Sakaar, while it's a, it's the, it's pretty much the entire second act just felt like it, it just went by so fast. I felt like he was there, had the one fight with, with Hulk. And then they, they have a little bit of a conversation and the rest of it's just getting off the planet. You know, I didn't feel if that was supposed to humble Thor in some way, I don't think it did its job effectively. Not even interesting getting off the planet. Like jailbreak stories can be interesting. Right. Yeah, they they stole a ship and it becomes it became Star Wars. Um I got a kick out of Tessa Thompson's portrayal of what was supposed to be Valkyrie. I'm gonna let Pat scream and yell that that wasn't Valkyrie. I'll save that for him. But uh, what the character they decided they they were going to call Valkyrie, I thought was fine. It's fun to see a drunken pirate fall off a ship, um, you know. And her arc, you know, of being somebody who was sort of drowning her sorrows from seeing all of her fellow Valkyries get murdered, was was fun to watch. Um, sorry, Robert, I keep using the word fun. Was interesting to watch for me. Um, the music, the art design oh. was all for me, was was great. I enjoyed... So, uh, the guys from Channel Awesome on their show Sibling Rivalry, one of, them, one of the brothers referred to it as 80s album cover, the movie. That's a, that's a I thought, very accurate statement. That's pretty accurate. And Not, not and all that you, clever, I, though, since most 80s metal albums are based in some type of Viking mythology. It's true. Um, you know, you either you either like the art direction that decided they were going to go with sticks, uh, the Yes album covers, or you don't. Uh, I like the Yes album cover art direction, so it was fun for me. I like the use of the Immigrant Song twice uh, by Led Zeppelin. You know, overall, it's in my top five of the Marvel movies. It's not the best. It's definitely not as well written as either Guardians 2 or The Winter Soldier. So it's three or four for me, depending on how I feel about Age of Ultron on a, on a particular day. It's probably further down for me. I, I want to say, you know, a lot of movies give a lot of trailers give away the movie. It's something that I don't like in trailers. This one really gave away the movie, like pretty much yeah, everything. Did. There's really yeah, no that one of the worst to see it. This that was one of the worst offenders from Marvel in this, along mm. with Spider-Man Homecoming. That was another one where there weren't a lot of surprises in the movie. If it weren't for Michael Keaton's performance, that movie would have sucked. And I love yeah. Homecoming. But, I mean, in terms of a theater-going experience, 
It was like, okay, it, this is Spider-Man trailer the movie, basically. And the only thing that saved it were those quiet moments with Michael Keaton. Yeah. All right, Pat. Um, you know, the floor is yours here. I, I'm very curious as to what you thought about this whole thing. I should point out that in order to keep myself mellow and from going and flying off the handle, I have the best of Luther Vandross playing in the background to keep my mood in check. <laughs> so thank you, That'll Luther, do it. the assist. You left us too soon. Uh, where to begin? Um, I said to Mark prior to him seeing this movie, literally immediately prior to him seeing this movie, he was at the theater when I messaged him. And I said, hey, what do you think about me coming on the show? He goes, yeah, sure, you're welcome. I go, just bear in mind, these are my two thoughts immediately. It straddles that line way too hard of being a complete parody. And for a movie cinematic universe that's supposed to be so heavy in continuity, one of the immediate things that strikes out here is the first movie basically tried very hard to establish the characters from Asgard simply as extraterrestrials and making sure that they weren't gods, whereas this movie completely ignores that and openly refers to them as gods. Hey, Pat, real quick. Odin outright says it in the Dark World. We are not gods. We live. We die. That's a quote. Yeah. Yeah, in in the Dark World, he says we're not gods. There's another line where Loki had said, I mean to rule them like a benevolent god. Um. But here they establish, yeah, Hell is the god of death. Yeah, Thor's the god of thunder. Yeah, this, so it's a complete basic uh, ignorance of the first two narratives that they've worked with. We'll keep going. If I, if I may, as far as that goes, it's, uh, this is utterly irrelevant to this, but I think it plays into some of the severe misunderstandings that uh, have come about in writing these. In Norse mythology, their gods could die. It's actually really a really important part of their mythology versus, say, Greek mythology, where their gods are immortal and yeah, no, you, you, they're just there. You know, Greek gods aren't heroic because there is no danger. They, by definition, cannot be heroic. Contrast that with Thor, who can die. Like when he goes to Jotunheim to fight giants, yeah, they could kill him. It takes a tremendous amount of effort to kill a god. But it's certainly possible. And yeah, I they're also that... not func- they're also not functionally immortal in the sense of you know they can die of old age. They have to constantly feed on the golden apples of Eden to maintain a much younger uh, appearance and everything and vitality. Um, and I really wish they'd actually like gone into that just a little bit because it's so easy to do. Just well, especially here, throughout the course here, of three movies. And then, Here's the thing. We, I, I said earlier, depth is not a word we're going to hear a lot in this movie. And Mark used the term surface earlier to describe a lot of what went on in this. Yeah, it's 90% surface. And I will echo Mark's sentiment that one of the high points is Kate Blanchett as Hella. She's fantastic. She's a great actress in her own right to begin with. It's not surprising to me that she could take a character and nail it. And that's despite how poorly written Hela is in this movie in terms of her origin, what the actual limitations of her powers are, what her real motivations are for wanting to conquer, why she developed this bloodlust. We get virtually none of that. 
almost like Marvel like rents nothing. bad villains. Pretty much. <laughs> it's a continuing pattern. The big, one of the biggest criticisms that I found valid of Thor The Dark World is how underdeveloped Malekith is. If by under you mean zero development, you're correct. Bingo. And they improve on that in this by about 10%, maybe. And that's not just in the case of Hela. That's in the case of almost every character in the movie. We get very little development. And in the case of Thor, he actually gets retarded a little bit compared to the development we've seen (laughs) in not just his own movies, but the Avenger films. Yeah. He goes from being the arrogant kind of meathead in the first Thor film to going from there to Avengers where he steps up and learns to function within the confines of a team, which is somewhat of a new experience for him where he's taking orders from Captain America. We go to age of Ultron where he's got to humble himself a little bit to defeat Ultron by feigning being beaten. And we, and he does all these heroic things and we get to his own movie where he really kicks the volume up into how much he's matured, where he says he's not ready to be a king and all this stuff. And in this, he's just a blithering idiot buffoon. There's really no two (laughs) ways about it. If anybody who's read comics has saw this movie, they know that this is really Hercules Ragnarok because (laughs) the characterization of Thor is complete Hercules from Marvel Comics, who is in fact a, a jovial buffoon of a god who has random adventures for fun, doesn't really look at long-term consequences of things, uh, constantly makes a fool of himself in front of women that he's trying to bed. This was really, in point of fact, Hercules, where anything he does that's intelligent is sort of by accident. <laughs> It's a really bad characterization of Thor. And I'm not even just saying that from a comic standpoint to this movie standpoint. I'm saying that in linear continuity with the other films that we've seen. It's a huge step backward. We go from there to one of the only characters who had any development in the movie is the Hulk himself. Not Bruce Banner, but the Hulk. And it's not very deep again, but we get the idea that, yeah, Hulk, and they even have this back and forth about how everybody hates Hulk on Earth and blah, blah, blah. And Hulk's basically saying, I'm fine here. I'm good. I'm champion here. I'm respected here. Uh, This is my place. I'm good. I don't want to go back there. Where you at least get some type of understanding of the big green monster other than that's what happens when Bruce Banner gets upset. And there wasn't enough of that to substantiate, you know, as much of the Hulk's motivation where he ends up helping Thor and wannabe Valkyrie or whatever we're going to call her and all these things. Valkyrie herself, I won't go into the whole thing about how she's not the Valkyrie from the comics. At this point, it's moot. But I will go into the fact that there's literally none of her backstory exposed. They see the mark of the Valkyrie on her, and, oh, you're a Valkyrie, you're Asgardian, you have to come with us to fight. No, no, I don't have to. And basically you find out the whole time it's because she's a coward and doesn't want to go back and face Hela because she saw basically every other Valkyrie slaughtered by Hela. Not a whole lot of depth there, just a real quick point to try to advance things, which, again, like we talked about, the pacing of the film. 
is rapid fire. The second act feels like it's about 10 minutes. Um, the characterization of the Grandmaster, Jeff Goldblum, is Jeff Goldblum after he's taken a pill on a Tuesday. He's very hedonistic and aloof in a weird way. And if you've ever seen David Duchovny play Jeff Goldblum on Saturday Night Live Celebrity <laughs> Jeopardy, this is very much in line with that. I don't have and a problem Jeff with Goldblum that. I thought it was entertaining. Is a human wasteland. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, the letter to my friend. Yeah, uh, that's such a great bit. But realistically, this is a hard character to bring in and give some sort of uh, grounding to, in the sense they're trying to, much like they had with the Collector. These are these are beings who are the elders of the universe that they're trying to bring in and characterize. It's hard. And I think they did an admirable job, surprisingly enough, with the Grandmaster in this sense. Um, Loki is still Loki. Tom Hiddleston is a wonderful actor who understands this character. When your writing is continually parodying the relationship between him and Thor, when we get to the point where they're making their escape and Loki tries to turn on Thor and Thor had correctly anticipated it, it's like, we've been here already. Do you really have to make that joke out loud to the audience? You couldn't have thought of something else to do here? You know... On top of that, we get a very, uh, and I want to try to give credit here at certain points. It's hard because there's not a lot to do that. We get a good little semblance of the characterization of Thor and where his power lies, where Odin gives him that line, are you you the god of hammers? Where, you know, people who've read the comics understand one thing about the character that a lot of people don't. The hammer's not the source of his power. The hammer's not where his power comes from. The hammer was a means for him to focus the power he naturally commands as God of Thunder. He doesn't need the hammer to do any of the stuff he does other than fly. That's it. He controls the lightning. He controls the weather. He's still strong. He's still very hard to hurt. He's still all of these things without the hammer. And that's one of the things people don't understand. Um, the Thor Hulk fight for as much as was given away in the trailer was still entertaining to me. I think it's as good a fight you've seen in the Marvel cinematic universe with the exception of Captain America versus the winter soldier at the end of winter soldier, which I don't think is going to be touched for a while. Um, this really had an identity crisis because anytime it got to a serious point, they immediately went back into hackney joke mode. So nothing in this movie that happened that was serious could be taken seriously. And the third act almost felt, well, I should say the second half of the third act felt like it was disconnected from the rest of the film. Like it was a different movie, kind of similar to uh, the last Wolverine movie before Old Man Logan, uh, The Wolverine, Wolverine. uh, was the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. Where the first Um, two-thirds are... A, some, a moderately interesting character study, and then the end is, well, here's all your action. Yeah, crammed into that 10 minutes or what have you. Um, you know, and then Thor channels his true power or whatever, and 
still at that point says, I can't beat her. And then he has the conference with Odin in his mind where Asgard is a people, not a place. And that's a little preachy in the current climate of things and also a little stupid because <laughs> Asgard is not only the geographic location of one realm, but it's the nine realms of Asgard that are totaled. The collection of nine realms are Asgard, and there is a geographic location. Think of it as New York City being in the New York State. Same, same principle. So the destruction of Asgard in the, myth of, in the legend of Ragnarok is not just the single geographic location. Surtur destroys the nine realms. And that's in the comics too, not just the Norse myths. So it was kind of very, uh, we're going to count on the fact that you don't know that to throw that in the movie as a, a hand of God to get rid of Hela, which I didn't like. And the movie itself tries very hard to capture the spirit of what Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was, a ragtag band of, mi of misfits teaming up to stop this seemingly omnipotent force but it had none of the heart and none of the character uh, interpersonal relationships, the way guardians weaves them. There is no depth to this. It was all surface and I get why people liked it. And that's because people are stupid and don't want to have to think about anything. Can I interject something? You know, the, you, you just summed up the, the ragtag group of people to stop an omnipotent being. Yep, that's the plot of Infinity War. Only it has 92 characters in it. Like, 92 main characters. Which, which is why I'm not... Me. Yeah, I'm not anticipating anything good coming out of it, to be honest. I think it's going to be like... Remember when you would have a class trip to the planetarium and they'd play a Pink Floyd album and you'd see all these cool visuals on the, the roof? Yeah, the laser light show. Yeah, that's what this is going to be, more than likely. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be Ringling Brothers and Bottom and Bailey Circus crossed with a laser light show, or or uh, you know a Ricochet versus uh, Will Osprey for a wrestling context. Take a drink, everybody. All right, um, last couple of things I want to touch on here because I agree with you know, a lot of what you guys have said. I'm not sure how this movie managed to take the destruction of an entire, like, almost plane of existence and make it an afterthought. But it did. <laughs> because Asgard is not a place. It's a people. And I get that. Yeah, like, know, I mean, I, and, you know, no, I'll that, even that buy into that purposely to take the. Hang on. No, th that was written in purposely to take the emotional heft out of it because we don't want to make people sad when they're leaving the movie or have any allusions also, to, like, 9-11 or something like that. We also want to act like America is a people, not a place, in terms of the political narrative, which I won't get into on this show. Um, that'll be on the right hook when it comes back. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm okay. Again, I'll even somewhat buy into you know you know the much as I believe that you know a for want of a better example, a city is more than just a collection of people. It's also not much without people. So I'm okay with elements of that narrative, but that still has to carry weight. There still has to be something behind it. Um, 
What I really wanted out of this movie, and I'm so glad I got it. When I watched the preview and saw the Hulk leaping at Surtur, I said, if he does not swat him aside like a little bitch, I will be righteously pissed off. And the Hulk launches himself at Surtur, and Surtur throws him aside like a little bitch. So I was happy. Uh, yeah, other than that, eh, it's so uneven. Like, I, I wonder if there weren't, like, serious rewrites and production issues that have just gone unreported. Because there's parts of well, this I mean, movie ever, that are ever good. Ever since the, like, first, the first Guardians movie, you've seen a shift in the tone of every Marvel movie that's been released. Even in Civil War, which is largely supposed to be a very serious, uh, in the tone of the, at least the Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, I would guarantee you that the comedy bits that are in there were added in following the success of Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, because, because there was such so much a more than that, Pat. Pat, you've heard you guys have heard me rant about Civil War about how anything that was supposed to have any emotional heft was undercut by not just the writing but the performances. I'm looking in your direction, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, yeah. But it, but it, but if you, you've seen a tonal shift in the writing of every movie that's followed, to be much heavier on the laughs with each preceding installment. Yeah, a lot of them are a lot of them are played for laughs. And again, can I? Okay, I'm gonna do a little bit of on trial here and come to the defense of Marvel Studios' decision to go the more of the comedic route. And I'm gonna start this by saying no one thinks about any of this stuff tremendously deeply. It's 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 very it's very very lacking in depth in terms of how people think about making movies. If you and, and so if you if you remind yourself that no one's thinking deeply, let's look at the evidence. People they they made a dark, gritty, realistic version of Superman and Superman versus Batman, and in both cases, people were like, "Fuck this!" You know, to to a large degree, people didn't like those movies. People looked at the trailer for Justice League saw a lot of the same things on Zack Snyder's fucking dog vision palette, color palette, and went, nope. And the studio freaked and got Josh Whedon to reshoot the whole movie. Um, yeah, right. Da- I said this when we reviewed that. Right down to saving the literal town dog from Sokovia. <laughs> um, it, it, when you think about, I mean, and even Star Wars, you know, they, they put Rogue One out, and Rogue One's supposed to be this gritty war picture, and people complained about that. So when they go to do the Han Solo movie, I don't know if you guys have heard about this, they brought in the guys that did the Lego movie and made it oh, way... Oh, for the and that, actually had, they, that got way too jokey, and they had to bring in Ron Howard to at least bring back some te- emotional tension and reshoot that movie because it was so over-the-top stupid. Um, my point is... That Marvel Studios and, and, and their think tank can be hardly blamed for, for looking at the audience, remembering the idea is to make money, and going, well, we can't get Lego movies stupid, but we can't get Dawn of Justice serious. We have to find a place in the middle that's filled with lots of laughs, 
but isn't too stupid and definitely not too serious. And I think that's where you're seeing, seeing a lot of the writing come from. It's, hey, keep them and laughing, James, make it colorful. And James Gunn is the only one who actually gets how to do that. And that's yeah, fine. I would agree. But, I mean, if, if the argument is, look at, you know, wow, the, the wave of Marvel writing has gone to the silly side, well, can you hardly blame them? Now you can, I can now blame you can them criticize. for doing it badly. Okay, but then that falls on, ta- on uh, Taika Waititi. Who directed this thing? That doesn't oh, no. Have, like, you can't necessarily blame that on thing. Marvel. I can kind of blame it on Marvel because they're overseeing this. And I can blame it on well, everyone who's writing in this well, universe. Hang on. Doctor Strange was jokey, too. And, and Pat, I don't know what your research of Doctor Strange was. But Doctor Strange got jokey at times, too. But it didn't get silly. We reviewed that when, when it came out. Yes, and both of us thought it was, it was real, fine. In, 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 in 50 words or less... It was Iron Man with magic and worse acting. I, I Mark agree. and I yelled I don't about agree with you. why that was wrong. Feel free to re-listen if you care for an alternate perspective. <laughs> now, look, ahead, my Robert, issue is not that they wanted to go lighter than, you know, uh, again the you know the DC stuff for want of a better example. I'm okay with that. I don't mind comedic elements in movies. I really don't, despite my lack of a sense of humor. What I don't like is uh, when, when why something works is utterly ignored in favor of, oh, hey, that. That, like, if you want a list of things that really, like, get my back up, like, get my goat, make me want to punch things, it's the, it's what... It's whatever jackass listened to the focus group that said, well, I laughed at Guardians. And didn't actually watch the freaking movie. Like, people like Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, they say it made them laugh. Okay, have you actually seen it? And did anyone with half a brain apply the, okay, why does this actually work? Yeah, sure, there's comedy. There's comedy in everything. Like... Unless we're talking about Schindler's List, I assume there are going to be moments of comedy in your film. Dude, I seriously was thinking that when you said that. I was just like, well, not Schindler's List. (laughs) We spend entirely (laughs) too much time together. (laughs) But there's no, like, again, there's no thought given to why does this work here and not here. There is no actual application of critical thinking or data crossover. Like, even if all you do is spreadsheet this and look at the overlap, you'll get an idea of why people gravitate towards humor in certain circumstances and not in others. I'm going to throw two sequels or two two films and their initial sequel out there for you guys, and I think you'll understand where I'm going with this. If you look at the, the original Terminator movie and you look at Terminator 2, okay, most people, if you ask them which one did you like, they say Terminator 2. If you ask them why, it'll either come to the visual effects being superior or because they like the lines that Arnold said in the movie, whether they were for humor or the iconic lines that he also used in the first movie. It has nothing to do with the narrative. 
the performances, anything of substance. Which is sad because those things do exist in that movie. If you look at, and we're going to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum, if you look at Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2, people who enjoyed the first Wayne's World thoroughly and laughed at it, and this is funny, this is good stuff, and then saw the second one to uh, drive nails into their eyes while it was happening, if you ask them why they didn't like it, they'll tell you it was too goofy and too ridiculous. Which is saying Mind something you, considering the, the original Ra- Wayne's World. Who liked the first one, exactly. <laughs> this is an inherent thing about sequels, is the sequels themselves are notorious for beefing up the, the stylized and you know surface stuff and having none of what the original brought to the table in terms of the craft. And that's what you see here. And that's what this is the Terminator 2 of Thor movies or Marvel movies or however you want to classify it. It took elements of something that was very popular in Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 more specifically and said, we need to bring that into this more. Just like they thought Terminator 2 needed more humor and more bad visual effects. And they got a happier audience as a result with a lesser film. All right. Uh, Mark, was there anything else? Oh, I had one more thing I wanted to say about Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster. I'm really surprised that the people in charge of this movie didn't spend half as much money as they did on Goldblum and just, like, record Vince McMahon for a week. (laughs) God damn it, pal. They need to fight in the Coliseum. And then we can get chocolate cheese. Hey Pat, you know what I came in the mail today? I imagine it had to be a me? language thing. Like he just swore too much. But Pat, Pat, you know what came in the mail for me today? My salad steel cage T-shirt. Inside a salad steel cage. Chocolate. Uh, yeah. I would, right, I would wear. Honestly, I would wear the dude 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 shirt if more people would get it. Because <laughs> that's my favorite. Yeah, that's the problem with a lot of those teachers and the Shivani shirts is they're a little too inside. Uh, all right, Mark, was there any final words you have on this? Yeah, a quick note about the Hulk. Um, I'm surprised I'm gonna... it took you this long to get to it. Because it's a personal thing. I say that lovingly. Thing. Hulk's and, and... favorite character. <laughs> He is, and he and he definitely got treated like a side character in this, and why shouldn't he? It's Thor's movie, and I get that. This isn't the Hulk movie featuring Thor. This is the Thor movie get with a guest appearance by the Hulk. And I, and I get all that, and I get the problem they have with Universal Studios, which I don't understand why this hasn't been worked out already. But, you know, they can't do solo Hulk movies, so they're finding way to do Hulk stories in these other movies. Here's the problem. While I liked the idea of using the Planet Hulk story as part of this overall Thor arc, it gave, it gave short shrift to what made Planet Hulk one of the best Hulk stories ever done, 
and it makes me just as much as what I said before about they're going to have 97 different characters in Infinity War, and it's just going to be joke after joke after joke as they deal with you know Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet, presumably. Um, it makes me afraid Did for how they're going to the handle Hulk in the future. Did you see the trailer for that? Uh, Brief aside, did you see that? Yeah, I did. As much of it as I could make out. I know, like, the first image you see is Thor, like, drops on the windshield of the the Guardian's ship. Yeah. Um, But it makes me afraid for what they're going to do with the Hulk going, going into the future, because there's a story to tell with the Hulk. You know, and and I've talked about this on a couple of different source materials. His varying in intelligence and varying in motive uh, have changed throughout the years. And the Hulk, you know, the guys on Screen Junkies really gave him a short trip. They basically said the Hulk is a werewolf and there isn't much to him. And so that's why we shouldn't get any more Hulk movies. And I said, no, then you've misunderstood the entire character and you, and you don't know what you're talking about. There's so many layers to the Hulk and so many great stories. Do you know how cool it would be to see a cinematic scene of going inside the psyche of Banner and seeing those fights between him and the Hulk play out as to which personality is going to emerge? Yes, I want to see a cinematic version of of that. I would love to see the Hulk um, when, when the person after that, when all the personalities merged and the professor came to be. I want to see a professor version of the Hulk. I want to see the Hulk that uh, was around after World War Hulk, where he was working for S.H.I.E.L.D., and uh, he got into it with the Red She-Hulk and Tyrannus. You know, I've talked about this a couple of times. It's called The Spy Who Smashed Me. Um, I want to see all of that, and we're not going to get much of it because they have to squeeze it into Captain America, and they have to squeeze it into Infinity War, and they have to squeeze it into Thor, and they have to squeeze it into Doctor Strange. So I mean, my initial my initial pitch for my initial pitch for what they could have done with the Hulk to engage in World War Hulk a little bit more is I thought it would have made more sense logically to have the Guardians end up dealing with him in the second movie, where they end up chasing a lead on an Infinity Stone that winds up finding them on Sakaar, where the Hulk is, and he ends up hitching a ride back to Earth with them because they get a lead on another stone, blah blah blah. And I'm not going to go into the whole detail. I thought it would have been better done that way because mm. you would have had Hulk interacting with an unfamiliar cast, which I think could have been interesting. Well, the other way to have done this would have been to do exactly what they did with Thor, but have it result in Thor doing what they did. Thor disrupts the entire planet. It goes into revolution, and the whole, and Hulk's whole world is fucked up. Again, he finally found a sense of happiness on Sakaar, as Hulk Hogan and Thor, this Avenger shows up, flips everything on its head. And now everything's in chaos. And Thor, you know, in his toddler mind is like, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to find Thor. I'm going to find all these Avengers. I'm killing everybody because they won't leave me alone and let me be happy. And that's how we, and so Thor leaves him on Sakaar and eventually, you know, Thor is going to, get on a ship with Korg and Meek and the whole Warbound and head towards Earth and we get, we get Avengers, World War Hulk. That might have been a better way to do it, but, like, I don't, you know, I don't know. The whole point of this, this bit of a diatribe is because of the rights issue with Universal, we're never going to get 
like the Hulk stories that he deserves. And I don't even know if people realize that he deserves these stories because, again, if the perception is he's a fucking werewolf, it's like, ugh. You know, and we're, and we're back to, well, this is why we can't have nice things. Well, that is why we can't have nice things, Mark. Because, you see, <laughs> no one's going to look at what worked in the previous Thor movies. I again, like the first one in particular, the almost Shakespearean relationship between all the characters. They're instead going to look at, oh, hey, how much money did Thor Ragnarok make? Well, boy, we better do more of that. Well, there's also the sort of prejudice belief that comic book movies shouldn't be in, shouldn't be and can't be serious. You I know, know what, I don't know. How, more than anything else, that's what I really hate about all this. Everything needs to be Batman, Adam West Batman. Yeah. Adam West is the best Batman because it's the least serious. You know, and that's, nobody seems to realize the Watchmen was a comic All these people love book. Batman and Robin, right? Like, <laughs> Joel Schumacher's <laughs> a genius. <laughs> here, here. I second that emotion. <laughs> more Joel Schumacher Batman. Thank you very much. Don't even, don't even note, say it jokingly. Don't even joke. <laughs> All right, are we ready for this next bit? Are we, uh, Pat, uh, I want to make sure you've got everything you need to say out. The, well, there's one more piece to this complicated puzzle. By all means. I'm going to read a I'm going to read a short piece from Vanity Fair. It was the idea of Hemsworth to quote cut his hair and quote destroy the hammer. Moves that Watiti, whom Hemsworth describes as also being quote sick of old Thor, wholeheartedly endorsed. Hemsworth credits Kevin Smith whom he once heard ba- bashing the Thor franchise on a podcast for inspiring him to speak his mind to Feige. Quote, hearing someone like Smith, who represents the fanboy world, was such a kick in the ass to change gears. Quote, Hemsworth says, quote, we sort of had nothing to lose. People didn't expect what we did with it this time around. End quote. You know who's a part of the Thor fanboy world, guys? <laughs> I'm going to guess you. That'd be me. That'd be me. And I'd argue that there probably was not a bigger living fan of that character than me. You know who doesn't understand that character or the fanboy world? (laughs) Kevin Smith? That fucking piece of shit hack, Kevin Smith, (laughs) who got famous because he wrote about being a fucking slacker loser in his mid-20s working as a, a convenience store clerk. And then followed it up with the morose life of his friend who loves comic books and his girlfriend. Made one movie that had any kind of actual uh, intelligent weight or laughing behind it in Dogma. And has followed it up with tremendous works such as Cop Out and Zack and Mary Make a Porno. In his defense, he, he just directed a fabulous episode of Supergirl. Oh, shut up. And, and okay, well, if, if we're to believe there is such a thing, yeah. <laughs> However, when it comes to the comic book world, Kevin Smith has had runs on multiple comics, none of which were well-received by anybody other than Kevin Smith fans. Yeah, please check out our review of Kevin Smith's run on Daredevil, which made me want to throw myself out a fucking window, along with the baby that Daredevil threw. 
Yes, among many, that was a bad one. His run on Green Arrow was a terrible run that almost got the book canceled due to low sales. Perhaps his worst run on anything was a miniseries called Spider-Man Black Cat, The Evil That Men Do, where he lived out his fanboy fantasy of seeing Black Cat in bondage, (laughs) painted her as somebody who may in fact be bisexual, and oh, it was delayed about six times because he couldn't figure out ideas to get the book in on time. This guy is the comic and movie equivalent of Vince Russo. So, in his defense, fuck, he directed very. Fuck you, Kevin in de- Smith. In his defense, he directed very fine episodes of The Flash last season. Uh, he directed when the show started trending in a negative direction. So fuck you, Kevin Smith. <laughs> fuck you, Chris Hemsworth. I can't wait till they recast this part with somebody else who gets the character, because you clearly don't. Fuck everybody involved with Thor Ragnarok. Okay. All right. I can say yeah. this. Hang on. A friend of mine said this about in his review about it, and I don't know if anyone listening has heard me repeat this or not, but I will repeat it here because I found another way to add to it. This is the best movie that has both Jeff Goldblum and Sam Neill in it since they teamed up for Jurassic Park. This is also the best movie to feature both Kate Blanchett and Carl Urban since Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. For those of you who are kind of going, well, maybe that, that works okay, in both of those instances, this is the first movie since those previous ones that has shared that particular screen pairing. <laughs> waka waka. Uh, all right, Mark... Much as we complain about it, much as we talk about how shallow and stupid this was, there's a lot of there's a reason soap operas exist, I suppose. How much money did this thing make? Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. money, 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 money. <laughs> oh boy, on a uh, budget of 180 million dollars. We are currently sitting at a worldwide gross of $439 million. It's opening weekend. It did $122 million domestic. And uh, foreign, it's currently sitting at $308 million. It is currently in the top 20 movies this year, uh, sitting at number 16 between The Boss Baby Sorry, War for the Planet of the Apes and The Mummy. Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes is 15. The Mummy is 17. So, yeah. Um, in just its first week out, between domestic and foreign, it's sitting at $439 million, And uh, as, we, as we said last week, I'm sure by the end of its run, it'll be somewhere, close, it'll be somewhere between 3 and 7, was my prediction. Uh, as far as the weekend goes... Uh, the whole weekend total did 180 million, which puts it at the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteenth best this year. And of course, it was the number one movie of uh, the weekend. So that's where it stands. 
not it the movie, but Thor Ragnarok. Uh, obviously, it's a smashing success for Disney and for Marvel Studios. Which, have you heard? Did you see what I posted? Uh, that uh, Disney is in talks to buy the movie studio of 20th Century Fox? I saw that. Which frightens me a little bit, because then they're going to insist on incorporating the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and unless they do an entire reboot with all new actors for a third time uh, with, with those characters... There's no way to incorporate the existing X-Men universe into the existing Marvel universe, unless to say they're on parallel universes. And to be no fair, way. Thanos is about to re-alter all universes, so you could do something. Just saying. Again, they're going to have to recast everybody, because they, they, at this point you know, they're not getting Halle Berry and... What's his face? Who plays Logan? In Hugh Jackman. Actually, Hugh Jackman said if he could get Wolverine into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he would consider coming out of. It, he would. That's what it would take for him to consider being Wolverine again. Hold up. Go ahead, Pat. It's it's basically a hold up, but it is what it is. This is this is like that time where if they're gonna wipe the slate clean and they go, okay, what do we do next? And I'm reminded of a certain Bruce Pritchard podcast where, well, do you have an idea? Yeah, I got an idea. How about you give me the fucking belt? And I'll just beat everybody. <laughs> That's basically what we're coming towards. Yeah. Uh, God, no I hate movies so much. <laughs> uh, no change in the top ten. Everything is where it was last week. Um, you know, again, with, with Thor and Justice League coming out, they'll, they'll enter the top ten at some point, but uh, not today, not, not, not at this moment. Transformers is still sitting at 11. Just, just wanted to point that out for you, Robert. Uh, about outside five of that, too high. Next, feel week, feel I believe, next week, I believe, is uh, Daddy's Home 2 and Murder on the Orient Express. They'll be somewhere it, in the top it. 30. They'll be, they'll, those two will be somewhere in the top 30, but neither one of them is going to come anywhere near the top 10. Uh, can't stop Mark Wahlberg. That, have you seen the trailer? With the Tom hell I can't. Air? Have you seen the trailer with John Cena in it yet? You keep insisting that he's not in the movie, and I keep telling you he is. I, look, I believe it. I have now seen it. Okay, I had not seen any promotional material that included John Cena in that movie. Okay. I now have. Uh, that's really all. So be it. I don't have a whole lot to say. Unless he, uh, it's, look, unless it's a movie with movie, John Cena, Mark Wahlberg, and Mel Gibson. It's going to be fantastic. You're overlooking actually the best part of that movie. No, I said Mark Wahlberg twice. No, no. You're overlooking well, John Lithgow. A, because John Lithgow is being, usually the best part of things he's in. If that movie doesn't up end with Mel Gibson disowning Mark Wahlberg because he's a short, southy jackass... And adopting John Cena, I will be like, there is no other point to that movie. Dude, Lionsgate has made more money than Paramount this year. <laughs> Holy shit! Yikes! I mean, they put out. Yeah, I got an idea. How about you give me the fucking belt? I'll just beat everybody. <laughs> Holy shit, dude! Lionsgate hey, since I has don't made. Watch... Post- 
Just real briefly, what's that <laughs> reference to? Because I I've not I don't listen to Pritchard. Can I tell him? Like, let, can't okay. Take so Bruce Pritchard <laughs> t- telling the story on on his podcast, and I can't remember what the overall topic was about. But he he's telling but he's saying in a in a meeting, hardcore Holly says, "I got an idea. Why don't you just give me the belt?" And everyone sort of blinks twice at him and says, "Okay, then what?" Then I just beat everybody. All right, Sparky. <laughs> they, 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 they pitched an idea to him that he didn't like, and he shot it down, and then they asked him, so, Bob, do you have a better idea? And he, and he just goes, yeah, I got an idea. How about you give me the fucking belt? <laughs> and I just I love everybody. <laughs> I, I respect that he actually said that. I, I genuinely do. <laughs> So my so yeah, just my last word here. So Paramount uh, is the one that's putting out Daddy's Home too, which made me decide to look this up. If they've only got nine movies here in 2017, and 15, you know, movies that are tracked, and even still, Paramount's made their total gross is 413 million dollars. Lionsgate is at 740. Lionsgate is at 747 million. Like. And just to go back to the Disney thing, like if Disney's going to buy a studio, I guess you can't, you, you know, you could do worse, obviously, than 20th Century Fox, which is tracking at, at, at four, you know, behind Warner Brothers, Disney, and Universal. But I mean, like if you're 20th Century Fox, why are you even selling? You're, you're grossed over a billion movies this year. Logan's because probably they've run out of ideas. But they've I mean, run out like, of ideas. Why wouldn't you buy Sony or Paramount? Which at this point, I'm pretty sure I could get a loan and buy. That's how bad they're doing. I mean, Pat, I don't know if you, if you follow this stuff, but we talk about it on the on this show all the time. Paramount's best movie this year was Transformers: The Last Night, and its like domestic gross was only 130 million dollars. Its second one was lost, Baywatch at 58 million. And they've lost, they've did nothing but lose money. Yeah, they had to before Monster Trucks even ever came out this year. They had to do a huge write down on that. Yeah, their top five movies this year: Transformers, Baywatch, Triple X, Ghost in the Shell, and Monster Trucks. That's not good. Okay, <laughs> now of those, the only original idea from them was for Monster Trucks. Yup, I'm just saying. Of which I, you know, what's funny about that. You know, Monster Trucks is a movie that is obviously geared towards small children. Like, my son was the target audience for that. Little boys who like cars. And that movie came out January of this year. You know when they just start putting out toys? Recently. Because I, didn't, haven't, cause I go to Toys R Us on, on, a, on a regular basis. My son and I, on my days off, like to walk around there, um, you know, once a week or so. And I've never seen, like, monster truck toys, and I saw them today. A little fucking late, if you ask me. I mean, I get it. They're in time for Christmas. Uh, But at this point, who the fuck is buying monster truck toys at full price for their children? That's the shit you're going to (laughs) find at discount in Walmart. Yeah. All right. And I say we wait until the – Mark, I say you and I wait until the end of 2018 when an original song – that we will sign the rights over to to a bank will get will secure us the loan we need for Paramount. Yeah, I, I like I said, I'm I'm pretty sure we'll be able to buy it with that without a problem. Um, all right, 
uh, I think that's it on the money. I don't want to belabor the point. And boy, do we have a lot of fucking reviews to look at for Thor Ragnarok. So, uh, are you ready? Oh, my God. I'm going to just make it. No, God, please, no. 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 All right. Hit me. Try to hold, try to hold it together, guys, because this first one's a doozy. Linda Cook from Quad City Times might leave you Thor from laughter. <laughs> Where? What exactly are the Quad Cities? Um, that is like Des Moines. It's that area. No, it's I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear from Iowa. some frustrated lesbian soccer mom in a flyover state. <laughs> okay, hey, hang on, hang on. Like, how, how in the world are you feeling good about publishing that pun? Like, <laughs> I think I just said how. I mean, in all like, that's Robin Williams couldn't even make that pun funny. Mark, is this a rib? No, these <laughs> Not are a legit. Rib, Conrad. Look, Mark is. An, uh, I love Mark. He couldn't make this stuff up if he tried. <laughs> uh, Charles Kaplinsky of the Illinois Times. Humor over heroics dooms bloated Ragnarok. Hey! Eh, dooms is strong. I agree with the general premise of what he's saying, but... like, Okay, here's the other thing about that. If your word choice is going to be dooms... You better have more than just, well, I didn't like it or it was shallowly written as supporting as support for that statement. Well, he, I, maybe I, he understands that this is this is hot shot booking that's basically going to cripple the franchise. I'm still not giving him that much credit. <laughs> like, no, the, this thing is doomed. No, it's only going to make eight hundred million dollars. Clearly doomed. Felix Vasquez Jr. of Cinema Craze. Taika Waititi takes, t- takes Thor to such a bold and fun, fun new arena, celebrating everything unique and fantastic about his world. Oh, shut up. Just yeah, I saw that coming. Shut up. <laughs> Honest to God, Felix Vasquez, I don't know where exactly you're located, but I swear to God, I want to fight you so much right now. I just want to kick the piss out of you. (laughs) This celebrates everything that's unique about Thor's world. Where do they spend most of it? Sakaar. With the Hulk. (laughs) Oh, this is clearly a celebration of Thor. Well, okay, so how do they celebrate Thor? Well, he makes meathead jokes. Uh, And bounces a ball and hits himself in the face with it. Like okay, we can't spend too much. There's so many of these. We can't spend so much time on these. No, I, I know. I'm going to be brief here, but I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the actual movie. There's only so much. The joke set up in this movie is the comedic equivalent of the jump scare in horror films. Because if by the third time they build tension. And the you know the, the heroine looks around the corner to see nothing, and oh, and then she turns around and gah, there it is. If you don't see that coming after the second time a movie does it, I can't 
I, I like I want to know how many times you've been struck in the head. The joke set up for this movie is, well, here comes something moderately serious, and nope, it's going to be cut off. And then you're going to wait, and then it's going to pay off. And that's their only setup. It's the it's the dirt worst. It is lazy writing. It is lazy structural writing. John Urbanich, your movies, otherwise known as Cleveland.com, says, The tone and settings are reminiscent of such watchable 80s clunkers as Flash Gordon and Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin, with a little bit of Disney's more recent Maleficent thrown in, too. Oh, come on. Do you... <laughs> like, okay, like, you, again, like, if you don't like this movie, if there's... Why do you make stuff up? This kills me. Like, there's legitimate things to criticize here. There's legitimate faults. There's legitimate flaws. Why are we making stuff up? Why are we making <laughs> stuff up about this? See, I agreed with the Flash Gordon aesthetic. That was one of the things I was thinking of. Like, oh, this is kind of like a modern Flash Gordon. Um, the, the, when, he, when, he, when he went, he was like, oh, it's kind of like Maleficent. I'm like, ah, right. <laughs> In no way, shape, or ever... fashion is this even remotely like Maleficent. No. no. Well, they're both colorful. They're both colorful. Um, Christopher Orr of The Atlantic, top critic. This, is, this, was, this one isn't so much get him Robert as it is get him Pat. But perfectly acceptable as an action movie, but inspired as a comedy, which is probably where the Thor franchise should have been aiming from the start. Go ahead, Pat. You go first. <laughs> what was this uh, jabroni's name? Christopher Orr. And Top he's from what rag? The Atlantic. The Atlantic. I don't know where that's based out of, but I can tell you where I can base my foot out of. (laughs) You fucking hack scumbag son of a bitch. God, I hate people. Uh, We can add this one to the pun list. Susan Granger of SSG Syndicate, the best silly superhero Thor movie yet. It's are you guys ready? Ready? Hold on to your chairs. It's Thunderful. Get it? Thor? Thunderful? Yeah, that pun was blunderful. So Mark, was your conception. Mark? Yes, sir. How is it that you and I toil in obscurity? <laughs> I don't know. Like, like in, in all seriousness, every time I have tried... I don't do this very often, but on the occasion that I have tried, like, submitting my writing to other places and I get rejected, which is fine. Like, I get it. Rejection notices get handed out just, like, there's a lottery. Like, and everyone else gets a rejection notice. I, I, I get it. Like, I understand how this works. Who employs people like this? Like, genuinely, what bunch of morons sign these checks for these people on a weekly basis? Democrats. <laughs> yeah. Al Alexander of the Patriot Ledger. The stated goal in the schizophrenic Thor Ragnarok is to liberate the Norse kingdom of Asgard. But what's really going on is the freeing of the Henny Youngman inside Chris Hemsworth. Take my hammer, please. That might not be terribly inaccurate. <laughs> 
Like, I, I really uh, want to know, well, like, not who wrote this movie, but because this was not written by anyone with any talent. This reeks of writers' rooms being force-fed material that got over with focus groups. Matt Brunson of Creative Loafing. This is always, this guy's always great for a laugh, and you know, laughing at him. This is Asgard by way of the comedy store, an approach inspired not so much by previous Avengers-related entries, but by Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, which again, and I can't stress this enough, fundamentally misses the point of why those movies worked. And especially in the case of Guardians. I mean, in the case of Deadpool, you have a, like, a, a serious amount of brain-dead people who go, oh, he's looking at the camera and making jokes. I'm so entertained. Give me more of this. But even that movie, which, bear in mind, I did not enjoy, managed to actually get a few elements beyond, hey, it's Deadpool making jokes. That created a general tone and resonance for the entire thing, that it would not have had, and I really can't stress this enough, would not have had if all he did was make jokes for 90 minutes. That, other than Age of Extinction, that might be the, the, the second biggest fight we've ever had on this podcast where we, we just could not agree on that movie. Because I thought, look, I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> I stand by that. I stand by every problem I brought up with it. Uh, Ruben Safaya of Cinemalog.com. For all its brazen gags, its hip soundtrack, and its cool, if somewhat <sighs> heteronormative heroes, oh, the house for that the love Steve of... Rogers... <laughs> the house I can that no, Steve Rogers built... I'm not even done you... yet. <laughs> I don't need to the read anything house... else. Shut your face. The house that Steve Rogers built doesn't rush headlong into truly dangerous territory. Now, please, let's talk about heteronormative heroes. You should not be allowed to review movies if you feel compelled to use heteronormative as anything other than a direct quote from a crappy liberal arts film that you saw at a festival. I'm really surprised Pat isn't screaming right now. Salute to Vandross. But I swear to God, if I ever find this fucking guy, I will end him. How da- no, Ray no, Project. like, how dare we have heterosexual heroes? How dare we normalize the biological impetus by which life pr- continues to exist? What the hell is wrong with you people? Like, no, Honestly, no. I'm, I'm really, no, I'm really seething right now based on that. Based on Bill de Blasio continuing on as New York City mayor, based on Phil Murphy becoming New Jersey governor, I'm I'm honestly on the verge of just doing something really fucking stupid. Um, I swear to God, they're just I want to just fucking hit so many people right now. Uh, I I'm tired of the fucking pushing the homo agenda. I don't care if that sounds like I'm gay bashing. Just because you want to be included, that's fine. Nobody's saying you can't. That doesn't mean you have to take 
heterosexual characters and turn them into homosexual characters so you can feel better about yourself and feel like you're a part of things. They've done that already. There's no need to do it anymore. It's done. You want homosexual characters? Invent homosexual characters. Make them role models for your children that you're war- – whatever. I don't care. Stop the fucking pushing of this agenda to just take over everything and then claim oppression. I fucking hate it. I can't stand it. I just want to bash faces when I hear that. Ray Pride of Again, New like, City says – no, go ahead, we're go moving ahead. on. Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Joke. I, I'll bring it up. It'll come up later. I almost guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> jokes. So many jokes. Attitude. So much attitude. Snark? Bring on the gold bloom. Sexual ambiguity? Yes. Oh, my. Action scenes? Action scenes? Jokes! More jokes! Seriously, that sounds like one of the books that my first grade kid reads. Like, did you mix, did you mix up your... Tra- were you trying to publish a children's novel? Like... <laughs> Okay, your four-year-old has shown a like, no, 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 younger than that. Your two-year-old has shown a mild interest in movies. Here's the basic elements of setting up a screenplay that you'd like to get them to read and learn from. You'd probably be more like I'd, I would hate so much less if that was what you actually tried to do. But instead, you, th- th- this is your review. Like this is what you're trying to actually say about a movie. You are paid for this. Where is your where is our cultural sense of shame around people this bad at their profession still gleefully cashing checks? What is we don't the have one because if you tell them that you're we don't have one because if you tell them that you're a bully and, a, and an oppressor. I mean, see, like, hey, speaking speaking of yeah. those reviewers, Leonard Malton. Gonna, <laughs> oh, here's our, oh, Jesus! <laughs> here's our weekly uh, pitch pitching from Leonard Malton. Marvel is too smart to completely undermine the serious matters at stake for its stable of characters, but confident enough to play with them a bit. Thor Ragnarok has a personality all its own, and I suspect Marvel fans will love every minute. Shut up. Just shut up. I want to just put on steel toe boots and kick him in the face until it's just a pile of primordial goo. I really do, and bone dust. Listen, part of the I don't again I don't mind comedy I don't mind comedy and serious material you know again the Guardians are constantly dealing with world-ending problems in one case universe-ending problems and there's humor okay there's some humor in Captain America okay there's also a seriousness to when things are serious that is utterly absent in this movie save a poor attempt at a maudlin bit in the third act. But no, 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 by all means, please tell me how seriously they treat the complete annihilation of a planet, of a plane of existence, of the way of life for not only these people, but everyone that was part of the nine realms of Asgard. Please tell me how seriously they took that. Can we talk about that for a second? Let's talk about the way they shot that for just a minute, because there's something very specific that happens, which undercut it completely. So Searcher's destroying Asgard. He's laying it to waste, and and they're all watching, and they're all sullen, and it's like there's this, oh, my God, we've lost our home moment. And Korg makes this speech about how as long as 
the structures there. There's something they can build on. They can, you know, the they can build a utopia. There we can rebuild. It, it, yeah, the foundations there we can be rebuilt. And then basically, like uh, this atomic bomb explosion happens, and it goes, "Well, never mind." <laughs> and it was played for laughs. It was absolutely yeah, a laugh out loud moment. It, it it's so like. No, that this is the opposite of how you try and treat serious things seriously, but inject humor into them. Anyone who knows Leonard Malton, hang on, hang on, hang on. Anyone who knows Leonard Malton, I beg of you, find water balloons and fill them with pudding, expired <laughs> tapioca, and heave them at this giant sack of crap. Yeah, we're never going to get invited to to Screen Junkies movie fights at this rate, guys. I'm not. I'm not, because I just threatened to smash his face with my foot until there's nothing left of it. And I promise you, Leonard Malton, if you gave me the opportunity, I'd do it. Okay, Leonard Malton was probably on the worst episode of movie fights I'd ever heard, and there's been some bad ones. Anyway, Christopher Lawrence of Las Vegas Review-Journal after the disappointment of 2011's Thor and 2013's Thor The Dark World, something clearly needed to be done. All Watiti did was deliver Marvel's omg movie yet. That's OMG-IEST, just so you know. I, I, I get what was said there. That's not even a thing. <laughs> it's not. Like, that, I understood what you were saying in context, Mark, but that's not a thing. Like... We, how we is that person? The, how is that person being paid to write anything? Have we lost <laughs> the plot to, here in terms of how we treat the language? Like that's what we've come to, to here. Hang on. Welcome to damn you Hollywood, Pat. I don't know how many of these podcasts you've heard, but you just pretty much summed up why we do this bit. Like, I, you, I've never, I've never bothered to string words together and didn't do a list of a, a string of emojis. That's I've never been driven, driven closer to homicide. That this guy has. <laughs> Hang on. That, that's losing his mind. I've really never been driven closer to homicide, I swear. <laughs> this will do it. <laughs> and we do this every this is, week, Pat. Every, this is why. Every week. I mean, obviously, the first, you know, the subject matter of this particular episode has me there on top of people wanting to destroy my freedom and financial security and personal security. But on top of that, like this, no, I can't. I just want, I want Surter to come down and just destroy the earth. I really do. Eric Mellon of pitch.com. This is the first mega budget Marvel picture to put its heroes on spaceships and hurl them into a wormhole called the devil's anus. Anus. Okay. Hold on. Clearance. Clarence. Hold on. If you're taking it in the literal sense of the whole thing, where it was the first one to put somebody in the devil's anus, sure. But this is not the first time there are characters thrown into spaceships that go through a wormhole. It's specific to the uh, devil's anus, we'll call it. That's fine, but whatever. I mean, really? Like, that's your big takeaway? This is the first time we've had this specific set of circumstances. If you throw enough qualifiers onto it, anything like you say like that can become accurate. It completely dilutes the meaning. Like you did, 
you just actually said nothing. Congratulations, you managed to craft a sentence or two. I assume one, otherwise your narrative, otherwise your like basic paragraph structure is so fundamentally flawed. I struggle to understand how you feed yourself. But now it's no, no. This is the first Marvel movie wherein this specific set of circumstances, not just oh, it's the first time they're in space or the first time they're on spaceships. No, this is the first time they're in space, in spaceships, going through a wormhole that is specifically referred to as the Devil's Anus. Wow. How do you say nothing? How do you spend that much time, I mean, assuming there's any time and thought put into this jackass's writing, and actually come up with something that is non-informative? That has to be intentional. I wish, like, I genuinely wish I could believe that you were doing that on purpose, but I assume you're just that stupid. Somebody Michael Michael Strasgow of Film Comment Magazine. Chris Hemsworth releases a comic daredevil spirit comparable to that other dashing Australian swashbuckler, Errol Flynn. No. What? That that barely makes sense. That is barely a coherent sentence. Do I need to read it again? No. What the hell are we reading? (laughs) Mark, I I have to I, I fear, I deeply and profoundly fear that your constant exposure to this material is actually like encouraging your cancer to come back. Oh, that's not nice. That's how um, bad this Rebe- stuff is. <laughs> Rebecca Murray of Showbiz Junkies. The world's gone bonkers. And we can all use a two-hour break. And Thor Ragnarok is the perfect distraction. Okay. I knew this would come up again. I absolutely knew this would come up again. <laughs> because the people who are writing these reviews are so painfully obviously stilted I, like is it could it possibly be clearer that this individual wants to write political op-eds and be paid for them but because both they suck at it and no one should be paid for those they now have to desperately cast about for ways to shoehorn their political reality such as it is into a movie review that has nothing whatsoever to do with that This is what I really hate about the state of criticism in America in movies right now. Nobody takes it seriously. They'd all so much they'd all clearly rather be delivering driveling opinion pieces about politics and policy and the state of the world and boo hoo such as life, but because they are not talented enough to do so on their own merits, they must instead take a paid gig writing movie reviews, and then shoehorn, well, this is my worldview, and I have this space to actually talk about it. So who cares about the fact that my job is to review movies? I will instead... Bernie Sanders lost the election because the millionaires and billionaires conspired against him. (laughs) 
terrific. <laughs> Bob Mundello of NPR, top critic. Kate, NPR people, just let me let me stress that point. This is National just, Public Radio. Just pay attention to that. <laughs> Pat, you're going to be on the news tomorrow morning. <laughs> Kate Blanchett's hella is hella mean, hella snarky, and hella striking with her hair slicked back into antlers. <laughs> I'm just going to go get candy. You guys have at it. Pat, I feel you need to vent a little bit on this one. I'll formulate my thoughts. Honestly, I'm just fucking turning green right now with my fucking purple pants ripping. I swear to God, I just want to rain down unholy vengeance on all of these fucking morons. Okay. It's not because they. It's not because they like the movie. It's fine if you like the movie. It's really it's not, not because it's not because you're mentally challenged. It's because you have no journalistic integrity. You have no concept of why you like things. You're pissed off at something you can't control and decide this is going to be your forum to air that even though it has nothing to do with that. I just want profusely for you to not be alive anymore. I'm not saying I want to be the one to kill you. I just don't want you to live. L- let hey, me Pat, start with this. You used to watch... go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Pat, you used to watch MTV, right? Uh, when they still played music, yes. Okay, so you, know, so you remember who Kurt Loder is? Yeah, I hated that guy. He's currently writing for Reason Online. And his little snippet that they carved out of his review to post here on Rotten Tomatoes says, about half of a pretty great movie. No. I don't even think that's accurate. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, I to think the there's previous... like 10 minutes overall of quality. To the, to the previous writer that Pat wishes desperately would not were not alive and if I might add just please don't procreate we do not need your genetics going forward sir you actually used the word hella not once <laughs> not even like I get like I get that the character's name is hella probably because they couldn't just go with hell I mean actually the like in most agreed-upon translations of the original Norse myth. It's hell, H-E-L. So I get that maybe you don't want everyone saying hell all the time in your movie. Fair enough. I mean, ten years ago, South Park, of all things, weaned you bunch of jackasses for overusing that expression. Because it was played out then. You are lower on the literary totem pole than South Park. Let that sink in, you troglodyte. So we've been doing these, these, this bit now for a long time, and I've come to go to a certain group of reviewers on this because they always give us the best stuff in terms of just how badly some of these are written. One of, the, one of them is Kaplan versus Kaplan, which is two reviews now I have to read. There's the chick and the dude, okay? There's Gene Kaplan and David Kaplan. Here's the first one from Gene Kaplan. Uh, he's always full. 
who's always full of good stuff. It's fun, it's exciting, it's hilarious, and then there's Chris Hemsworth. Okay? Now, here's her male counterpart, David Kaplan. We can always depend on Hemsworth's style of not taking himself too seriously, and it works well. I have one more to re- review after this because I want to see both of you have a stroke tonight, and then I think we're done here. <laughs> Anything on the Kaplan versus Kaplan? Congratulations. They're both wrong. The you're self-employed. I imagine your parents <laughs> engaged in a good bout of Kaplan versus Kaplan, too, and you're just continuing the tradition. I imagine their parents okay, I, were related before they got married. That's kind of what I was going I, for there, but I phrased it badly. I have two now I have to read, because I just saw one from Playboy Online that, that I think really sums up this bit real well. But uh, this is the one I was going to end this with. Sarah Stewart of the New York Post, top critic. It's witty. It's weird. And it goes against decades of bloated, over-serious comics fare. Oh, shut up. Do you not... <laughs> waiting for you to... This is a Says the stupid fucking cunt who's never read a comic book. <laughs> Like, wait, wait, in all seriousness, like, this is demonstrably inaccurate. Like, genuinely, here, here's ten movies from the last ten years that prove what you actually just wrote is factually inaccurate. Factually inaccurate. What a stupid fucking cunt. Like... Back to the I, kitchen I am with you. To accept a diversity of opinion on these things, I really am. And much as I believe that you know, utilizing the word "fun" as some kind of unanimous qualifier is stupid, I accept that. I like. I will call you out for it, but if you raise other salient points, they're still perfectly valid. How? How about you give me the, the fucking world? Belt? <laughs> How in the world? <laughs> Can you actually have taken in the same stimulus as the rest of the world and arrive at such a bad conclusion? What mind-altering substances were you on? Because that's it. That's the only logical explanation for you being so wrong about things that are provable fact. Dude, dude, dude. All right. This is the I mean, last you, one. Like, this, this, this is the type of person who pretends that, you know, Florida is not attached to the United States. That This is the same level of insanity that you are espousing with what you just wrote. No, very, like, this, like no, Kevin Bacon was not in Footloose. What the hell? All right. So for, for this, this one goes to Pat. I want, I want Pat to have the last word here. This one's for you, Bub, and we're going to call it a night after this. Steven Rabello of Playboy Online says, Thor Ragnarok might rub some humorless Marvel purists the wrong way, but for the less obsessive amongst us, it's every bit as silly and mocking as it ought to be. Get him, Pat. Says the guy who writes for a magazine that a week after its founder dies puts a man naked as its centerfold. I don't know what you're rubbing off to, Stephen Rebello, but I'm pretty sure it ain't ladies. <laughs> okay, then. 
Uh, Robert, you want to say anything about it? I, I share your deep sense of hatred for the people who do this professionally. Because how, how, how do you get paid for the, who do you know? Like, I, I don't understand. I do not understand how. It makes perfect sense that he would think that a Marvel movie shouldn't be for Marvel fans. Because he's working for Playboy, which is supposed to be the men's magazine where you ogle naked broads. And instead of a naked broad in the last issue, they put a naked man pretending to be a broad. Like, who did you blackmail to get this job? Like, whose dirty little secret is your existence? Like, (laughs) your father can't actually be your father. It must be someone in power at this establishment who's given you a job in exchange for your mother not spilling the beans about your actual lineage. Okay. I want to do I want to play a game real quick. Fuck there Dave Meltzer. 17... Indeed, fuck Dave Meltzer. Um, before we get to plugs, I want to play a game. I have up the Marvel movies ranked worst to best by the tomato meter. There are 17 movies. Any uh Robert, your best guess is to number 17. The worst? Is, yeah. According to this one then? Why? According to the tomato meter. Jeez. I mean, I know the actual worst is like Thor the Dark World, and I don't mean, and I actually enjoyed that movie in certain places, but I'm going to forget. Would have been my guess too, Robert. I'm at least, I'm going to forget like at least one movie that falls within the pantheon. Maybe Iron Man 2 actually might be the worst reviewed. I don't know. Pat, you want to take a guess? I'm going with Iron Man. I'm sticking with Thor the Dark World. You are correct, sir. Yeah. The worst-ranked movie by the Tomato Meter is at 66%, and it is, in fact, Thor The Dark World. Number 16. Want to take a crack at it? Uh, uh, that I'll go with I Iron Man see. 2 or 3. Yeah, I could see that being Iron Man 2. Nope. <laughs> Number 16 is The Incredible Hulk at 67%. I don't count The Incredible Hulk. I wouldn't. I still wouldn't okay. put it as low as that. I, number I just don't fifteen count is as part in, of the pantheon. Okay, number fifteen is in fact Iron Man two. You guys have been guessing it. I'll just tell you which one it was. Number fifteen, seventy three percent. Still certified fresh, by the way. Uh, guess, a gander at number fourteen. Winfrey, number fourteen. Number... It's not Iron Man three. Probably should be, but it's not. Um, original Thor. Nope, but you're close. Uh, Avengers, Age of Ultron, uh, 75%. Number 13 is Thor at 77%. I I would have guessed the same as Robert. All right, number 12, Pat. Number 12, I will take a stab at it and say... This doesn't reflect on my personal opinion, but I will say Captain America, the first Avenger. You are very close, sir. It is Iron Man 3 at 79%, and number 11 at 80% is Captain America, the first Avenger. All right, top 10, baby. Robert Winfrey, top 10. Oh, let's see. 
What haven't we touched on yet? Because Avengers is too high up there, but it's we're closing in on Avengers, the first one. Um, I will guess... Um, jeez. Ah, screw it, I'll guess the Avengers. I'm pretty sure I'm wrong, but I'll guess. You are wrong. Not even close. It's Ant-Man at 82%. Oh. I, again, like, there's a bunch would, that I'm just going to forget exist. Would not have would not have been my <laughs> guess, but I also really enjoyed Ant-Man. Uh, okay, number nine, Pat. Uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Nope. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 at 82%. Number eight, Robert. Um, I, could, I don't agree with that at all, by the way. I don't understand how the how reviewers came to rate this one where they did, but go ahead. Well, if you're disagreeing with it that vehemently, Civil War? Nope. The Winter Soldier. That Number really? At 89%. Jeez. Yeah. Holy yeah, I, shit. I, like, I still think it's the best movie they've ever done. Easily. Um, yeah, I, of, I, I think it's easily one or two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was their complaint? It was with... too serious? You want me to read this? No. Um, okay. Well, I don't think it would have been a, a good summary of, you know, remember, we're talking about an aggregate here. These, these are yeah, all yeah. the people that rated the movie. Uh, tying at 89%, but coming in at number seven is good old Doctor Strange. Oh. All right. Number six. Robert, uh, Pat. Uh, I don't understand how it's this high, but we'll go again with Spider-Man Homecoming. Nope. <laughs> Captain America, Civil War, 90%. Holy shit. They yeah, read Civil you're, War you're, above, above Winter Soldier. Yes, and, and because it hasn't happened yet, you know, you, you, you'll laugh when you hear how high Spider-Man Homecoming is. Um, oh, it's probably number, all right, number two five. Number five, Robert. Um, original Iron Man. Nope. Guardians of the Galaxy, 91%. Oh, seriously? Okay, Pat. <laughs> Pat, you want to take a stab at number four? Yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming. There you go. Absolutely correct. 92%. Fucking All right. ridiculous. So wait, wait, wait. Hang on. Just for the, for the sake of clarity, the, one, the remaining three are the original, or Iron Man 1. Iron Man, Avengers. Avengers. And Thor Ragnarok. And this. Yes. Any you want to take That's a guess as fucking what absurd. Of yes. Um, I do. Go for it. Okay, go uh, ahead, Pat. Thor Ragnarok is one, Avengers is two, Iron Man is three. I'll you have them backwards. Pat. Really? Nope, it's backwards, guys. Yep. Oh, Marvel's they at least the got, they at least got the order of those right. <laughs> Marvel's The Avengers is three. Thor Ragnarok is two, and uh, coming in at 94%, the highest rated on the tomato meter, is Iron Man. Okay, to make it clear, I have so no issue well, with Iron Man. So many I, have, I, have no, I have no issue oh. with the original Iron Man movie being number one on the list. I really don't. It's not my personal number one, but I think it's top three. Everything else on that list is trash in terms of the order it's been placed in. It is so wrong. So, I don't know how. Okay, with two hundred, with twenty-two thousand and two hundred twenty-one votes, they they put a poll at the bottom of this. What's the best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie? Now, I just voted. I voted for 
Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Um, but so this is a this is a fan poll for people who have read this article. I'll tell you guys like which are like the highest rated ones. Okay, the winner on this poll is Thor Ragnarok. Guardians of the Galaxy. Seven. Are you kidding me? Nope. Thor, no. Oh. Thor Ragnarok at seventeen percent. Polls like this are so fundamentally useless because we always go with what happened most recently. Like, if you want another example of this, look up the UFC's poll that they put out after, like, any time one of the, like, consensus three or four best guys in the world right now fight. And they ask, who's the best fighter of all time or the best fighter right now? And without fail... If John Jones just fought, it's John Jones. If Demetrius Johnson just fought, it's Demetrius Johnson. They asked this again, because DJ won the last time they actually polled this. They asked it again after GSP beat Michael Bisbing, and lo and behold, GSP won. This is utterly useless well, data. Well, I like utterly useless fun. So, um, so Thor Ragnarok is number one with 17%. Winter Soldier is number two at 15%. Uh, Civil War and Iron Man are tied at 12%. And Marvel... Oh, I'm sorry. And, and uh, the other tie is a three-way tie. Sorry. It's a three-way tie between Guardians of the Galaxy, Civil War, and Iron Man. And coming in at 11% is Marvel's The Avengers. Um, everything else is 8% or lower. Uh, at least... Uh, at least the fans know what's up. At least 15% of the fans know what's up. <laughs> sure. All right, Pat, you want to do any plugs? What are you working oh, on these crap, days? Holy crap, we've got what's a caller. Uh, are you so, fucking kidding me? <laughs> no, like this poor guy's been on hold for 13 minutes. Ugh. Hi, oh, Jesse. There he goes. <laughs> oh, He's gone. God, yeah, I... <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, whoever that was, if you actually had something you wanted to call in and say, I blog talk and my computer barely get along and I've had to open it up in a completely different web browser and it's been in the background of what I've been doing. I am so sorry. Well, all right. Yeah. Sorry to whoever called in. You'll have to catch us next time or, or email me or catch me on Facebook. I'm Mark Radledge on Twitter. Pat, what have you got going on? What do you got going on in the future? What's the, what's your intentions? Are you going to go into the woods and live deliberately? What's your plan, sir? Sounds better and better um, after this. After this, yeah, I might be waving a white flag on uh, society and telling them they've won. They've finally broken me. Um, I, I, what do I have? I don't even. I don't want to go on. Um, <laughs> I know the feeling. What do I got going? On? Um, I, I will soldier on and. Unfortunately, this Sunday, you will not hear me on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show, as I do have a prior commitment that I am not able to attend uh, this show. Robert will unfortunately have to go along without me, but Jeff will be with them, I'm sure, and they'll have a fantastic show lined up for you. Um, you can hear me on the previous many, many iterations of the show. Uh, it's been fun being back there on a semi-regular basis. Uh I don't have anything major coming up. I'm doing some writing to format something new that'll be dropping hopefully in the first quarter of 2018 here on the Rattlish and Broadcasting Network. Uh, 
other than that, I don't have anything immediate in the works other than in December on a, an episode of TV Party forthcoming, you will hear myself and Mark Radulich, our beloved namesake, Savior, here on the broadcast, the Radulich and Broadcasting Network, cover season 3B of Fuller House, which will be dropping to Netflix in December. Indeed. Um, this is Thor week. It's all Thor all the time. Monday, we did uh, uh, an episode of Source Material where we looked at Thor Disassembled from 2004, otherwise known as Thor Ragnarok. On the Metal Hammer of Doom, did you review albums by Heavy Metal God Thor? Uh, We're doing an album called uh, Thor by a band called Wizard. Wizard actually has a new album out this year called, I think, Fallen Kings. But they have a previous album called Thor. Thought that fit in with the week. That's tomorrow on the Metal Hammer of Doom. And then on trial this week. But not doing John Michael Thor? No, sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, Mark, as a, as a heavy metal guy, are you not familiar with the blonde uh, bodybuilder who called himself the heavy metal hero and marketed um, himself as Thor? Vaguely, now that you're mentioning it, yeah. Um, this Thursday on trial is Thor the Dark World. And then I think maybe there might be a source, um, a screaming boy concerning all of the above. Um, next week, we will uh, we have a TV party for Black Mirror Season 3. We have, uh, assuming Rob makes it to the show, it's, he's, uh, he decided to pick an album, and we're going to look at Ackercock. That's the name of the band, Ackercock. Um, and then there's no sh- <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, everyone. Um, and then we got no show on Thursday. Uh, so that's it for right now. Those are my plugs. Last week, you can hear me talk about Jigsaw with Robert. And then our other Halloween show was Motorhead Undercover. So check out those shows in the archives. All right, Rob, hit it and let's get out of here. All right. You can listen to me on Sundays, host the 411 Ground and Pound radio show. This last week, we reviewed UFC 217. A night of fights. A lot of people enjoyed it. Um, one of the best cards of the the best card of the year, easily. One of the better cards of the last two or three years. Certainly top five if we go back that far. Um, so you can listen to myself, Pat, and Jeff Harris talk about all the action. George St. Pierre beating Michael Bisbing. TJ Dillashaw reclaiming the bantamweight belt. Rose Nama Yunus becoming strawweight champion. And all the good stuff in between. Uh, thanks to everyone who followed along with my live coverage. Yeah. This is what kills me. Like, I, I am legitimately worried about the quality of what I do in the written word every week when I cover MMA events. Like, I, I genuinely am bothered by my own inabilities and my own shortcomings. And yet there's these jackasses reviewing movies who, like, are barely sapient. It really bothers me. Um... This coming Saturday, I will have coverage of UFC Fight Night 121. 120, excuse me. Um, it's a card that would have been pretty good six years ago. Uh, Matt Brown's fight, uh, Dustin Poirier and Anthony Pettis is your main event. Elsewhere on the card, Matt Brown and Diego Sanchez fight. Andre Arlovsky is fighting. Nate Marquardt is fighting. And Joe Lozon is fighting Clay Guida. Again, in 2012, this was probably a really good card. So stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. Um, Sunday, we'll be reviewing that and previewing Fight Night 121. Oh, boy. 
I just looked at it again, and I shouldn't have. Um, your main event is Fabrizio <laughs> Verdum versus Marcin Tabora, and it only gets worse from there. So feel free to stop by as far as following along with that. Um, I believe, and I forget what date this is, but uh, Jesse contacted me little bit earlier today and asked for permission to rebroadcast parts of the everyone loves a bad guy that Pat and I did a few years ago on Thor as part of Thor week. So if you're following the network's live stuff, there's a good chance you'll hear archival footage of Pat and I talking about Thor's list of villains. And you can actually find that whole show. If you hop into the archives, because it was a lot of fun. Uh, Pat introduced me to a character I didn't know existed and he, Turned out to be one of my favorites. Because seriously, I want a God Butcher (laughs) storyline. Come on, Marvel. Of course, now now I I live in fear that they would just completely cock it up. Um, Again, there is no Damn You Hollywood next Tuesday because nothing comes out that Mark and I want to talk about. But we will be back the week after. Is that Justice League uh, the week after, Mark? You bet your sweet pippy it is. I hate my life. <laughs> so in two weeks, Mark and I will talk about Justice League. I will rail against Jason Momoa's continued employment, explain why Batfleck fell off the rails, because it's going to, and basically explain why, oh why, oh why, we arrived at this sad, sad state of affairs. <laughs> and Mark will constantly tell me, shut up and have fun. Look, I don't. I, I have more hope now for Justice League than I did, seeing as Josh Whedon pretty much had to reshoot the entire movie. That really didn't give me any hope. No, Josh right. Whedon sucked. All right, everybody. You, expect, you look, look. Into... Expect Wonder Woman to feature even more prominently now. Thanks, Josh. All right, everybody. You've been listening to grumpy old men yell at critics. We'll we'll see you soon. I Thanks, Pat, for critics. being on. Love I you. hate you all. I want you all oh. to step off a cliff. Fall about 10 feet okay. and break your ankles. I just want you in pain. And we'll be back in two weeks. Be well, be safe, and behave. Oh.